you are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. So we're going to be hearing from Dr. Terrence Green today. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. some of y'all know him. So this, this, this Dr. Green is an associate professor at the University of Texas in the College of Education. Uh, he has been part of our church, him and his family, for, for five plus years now. Is one of our deacons here at, at, at the church, is a tremendous leader and, and a man who's passionate about, about the Lord, has conviction, and, and is an amazing communicator. Um, he, he has a, a daughter who's two and a half years old. Her, her name is Wiley Grace. She's the cutest little thing. And they're adding another daughter in just a few short weeks. And so are, their quiver is getting more and more full by the months. They are being fruitful and multiplying. So as you can see, they are obeying the Lord's man. Uh, so I'm so excited that you get a chance to hear from this brother today. He's a, he's a friend, a leader, and a tremendous man of God. Would you give some love to Dr. Terrence Green? All right, good afternoon. Uh, come on, this is the fourth service. Good afternoon. Yeah. Well, before we begin, I just want to say thank you to Pastor Morgan and to Carrie. Um, and to John and Galen, the elders of this house, for giving me the opportunity to share God's word. This isn't something that I take lightly, and so I'm super humbled by this opportunity. Um, I also want to acknowledge my beautiful, awesome, amazing wife, Brandilyn. Um, we, um, like Pastor Barnabas said, we have a two-and-a-half-year-old, and we'll be welcoming our second daughter into the world in a few short weeks. So we're super excited about that. All right, let's pray. And that's getting to God's word. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you for for the opportunity to share your word, Lord God. You know that I know, Father, that apart from you, I don't have nothing to say. So, Father, I thank you that you have anointed me and you have graced me to speak your word with boldness, with clarity and accuracy, Lord God. I ask that you would speak to each and every one of us in a unique and special way and that none of us will leave out of here the same way in which we've come in. Father, I ask that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to perceive your word today. So we give you all the glory. We give you all the honor. and We give you all the praise for what you will do in our midst today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, 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 amen. All right, so we have been in an amazing sermon series on the book of Romans, and Pastor Morgan and other folks here have been engaged in some amazing teachings on the book of Romans, and so we pick it up today in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. And to set the context up and to get into this, I want to just tell you a little story that makes me think about the context of Romans 5. One of my first encounters at UT, I'll never forget this, we were at a new faculty orientation. And this new faculty orientation took place at the Blanton Museum, right? And so the curator is taking us around to look at this artwork in this latest exhibit. And so she's giving us the, she takes us to this first piece of art and she gives us the background, she gives us the context and she leans in and she says, my friends, this is worth $2 million. I was looking at that mug, I said, $2 million for this? I said, my little nephew can draw this with his eyes closed. Two million? So she takes us to the next piece of artwork, gives us the background. All this. this is worth five million. This is worth seven million. She takes us to the masterpiece 
right as we're about to leave. She gives us the context. She gives us the background, lets us know who made it. And she said, my friends, and she leans in even closer, this is worth $20 million. I'm like, I'm perplexed. I'm dumbfounded. At this point, I'm like, I have definitely chosen the wrong profession. I should have been an artist. There's no starving art. $20 million for this? And so as we're walking out, she says, does anyone have any questions? And, you know, I know folks are ready to leave, but I had a question and I didn't want to ask, so I just gently raised my hand up and I said, yeah, I do have a question. I said, we've been seeing all this artwork and you're telling us like it's worth two million and five million and this masterpiece is worth 20 million. And I asked her, I said, what determines the value of a piece of art? And she looked sort of pensively, she thought for a minute and then she turned around and looked me eyeball to eyeball with boldness and conviction. And she said, the value of the artwork is based on what someone is willing to pay for it. She looks at me again. She says, the value of the artwork is based on what someone is willing to pay for it. Now, why do I tell you that story? Because this is essentially what Paul is trying to usher us into in Romans chapter 5. Just like the value of that piece of art is not based on what I think about it, how good it looks, or how good it doesn't look to me. The same thing is true for us. Your value is not based on what somebody thinks about you. Your value is not based on the good things you've done or the bad things you've done. Your value is based on what heaven was willing to pay for you and what heaven was willing to pay for you was precious son Jesus. So you have value. In the eyes of heaven, you are priceless. Heaven gave the best it had to offer for you. And this is what Paul is trying to get us to see as we go into Romans chapter 5. And so what I want to share with you today, I want to share with you three points in the Mosaic way. I want to share with you three. I ain't about to get up here and start freestyling and doing my own thing. I got three points for you. I want to talk to you about three freedoms that the gospel brings to us. And they are these. The gospel brings us freedom from our past, freedom in our present, but also freedom for our future. Let's look at these in turn. We'll begin with freedom from our past. We pick the text up in Romans chapter 5, verse number 1. When Paul writes this, he says, Therefore, having been justified, everybody say justified. Yeah, oh yeah. Justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this word justified is the Greek word daakeo. Now, that's the best Greek translation you're going to get from this brother from the east side of Detroit. All right. But one of the translations of this word is acquitted. Now, I am not an attorney by any stretch of the imagination, but there are some amazing attorneys in this church. And I asked one of them, Jay Michael, who is one of um, Travis County's finest prosecutors, said, look, man, what does the word acquitted mean in a prosecutorial sense, but also in a lay sense? Like, break it down for a brother. I don't need to get the law school definition of, like, what does it mean? And he said this, the word acquitted means not guilty. But it also means once you've gone through the legal process, that the person found not guilty can never be charged or tried again for that same offense in that court. 
I'll say it to you again. It means that you've been found not guilty. And what you've been found not guilty of, you can't be charged, you can't be tried again for that offense in that court. It'll violate the double jeopardy clause of the Fifth Amendment. And so he says in that court. So if you went through a criminal court and you were found not guilty, that charge, that trying can't happen again in that court, although somebody could try you in civil court. So now check this out. In the court of heaven... God has rendered you not guilty. He's not charging your past mistakes, your past sins, and your past failures against you. The enemy doesn't even have legal jurisdiction to charge you or to try you again in the court of heaven for the things that you've done wrong. Why? Because you have already been declared acquitted. So what the enemy does through replaying in our mind the areas where we've sinned and the areas where we've fallen short and the areas where we've missed it, he now tries to get us to build a case against ourselves and to try ourselves not in the court of heaven, but in the courts of our minds. Let me ask you, what case are you bringing against yourself in the court of your mind? What charges are you trying to try yourself for in the court of your mind? Charging yourself and trying to charge you and say, you're not worthy of belonging, and you're not worthy of God's love, and and you're not worthy for God to intervene in this situation. Trying to get you to try yourself and charge yourself in the court of your mind, because in the court of heaven, you've already been declared not guilty. Now, there are two indicators that give us insight into whether or not we are trying to try ourselves and charge ourselves in the court of our minds. Now, this is just two. This ain't the end-all, be-all, but these are the two we're going to look at today. Number one is guilt, and number two is shame. Guilt and shame, they like A1 from day one. They like BFFs. They like first cousins. They like, if you had a party with an RSVP and a plus one, guilt is bringing shame and shame is bringing guilt. They just kick it like that. <laughs> guilt and shame. The enemy trying to guilt you into charging yourself. The enemy trying to shame you into charging yourself in the court of your mind. Now, here's one way to think about guilt and shame. There are many ways to think about it. G- guilt is the feeling this bad feeling you have when you make a mistake, but shame tells you you are a mistake. Let me interject this here. Just because you made a mistake doesn't mean you are a mistake. God made you, and God doesn't make mistakes. Guilt and shame, I love what Brene Brown says. She defines shame like this. She says, shame is the intensely painful feeling that we are not worthy of loving and belonging, and it corrodes the part of ourself that thinks we can change. And she said, if you had a Petri dish and you wanted, and you wanted uh, shame to grow exponentially, all you need to put in there is some secrecy, silence, and judgment. And many of us experience shame and guilt, not all the time based on the things that we directly did, but sometimes based on the things that were done to us. And that's how uh, oftentimes abuse will work. After the abuse is over, we still carry the guilt and the shame of it. And the way that it works is keep it a secret. You don't tell anybody. And one of the lies that shame will tell you 
you're the only one. Nobody else has this challenge. How can you still be struggling with this? You had your hands lifted up in church. Who do you think you are? Shame will begin to whisper. Shame and guilt will begin to talk to you. And if you let that talking go on long enough, you'll begin trying yourself. And you'll be like, actually, I'm really not qualified for this. Actually, I really shouldn't be doing this. And so what we've got to realize is that guilt and shame are too heavy of a burden for you to bear. That you weren't created to carry guilt. You weren't created to carry shame. That's not how God designed you. Now, can I show you all a quick illustration? All right, thank you, Ashley. We can see an illustration. Anybody else here? Can I show you all a quick illustration? All right, give it up for Pastor Shad. Now, everybody say weight vest. This is not a bulletproof vest, okay? This is a weight vest that athletes use for resistance training. I put on a weight vest so I can run faster, jump higher. This is used every day in the athletic world. This is a weight vest, all right? Now, Pastor Shad is going to help me put the weight vest on, and he's going to make sure my locks are still intact. You feel me? All right. So here this weight vest. Now, this weight vest weighs 20 pounds. I weigh one something, so this is one something plus 20, all right? But now watch this. I want to give you a picture of what this looks like. So from heaven's perspective, you have been declared acquitted. You have been declared not guilty. But this is what we look like in the spirit when we pick up the extra weight of sin of the extra weight of shame and the extra weight of guilt that we carry around. And if I keep this thing on long enough, my legs will start hurting. I didn't put it on four times, and my back already started to hurt. <laughs> right? And, and see, what often happens with shame and guilt, you'll start feeling other things that are out of whack, and you can't figure out where it's come from. And part of it, if you start to trace it back, some of it's coming from the weight of guilt and the weight of shame. So you weren't created to walk around like this with this additional weight in the spirit. And so what shame and guilt causes us to do, there are three things that we see in the book of Genesis. And we don't have time to go there, so I'm going to just tell you. In Genesis chapter 2, we see Adam and Eve and things are good. In verse 25, it says that they were naked and they were not ashamed. Genesis chapter 3, we see the serpent show up. And the serpent starts talking to them, deceive them. They eat the fruit of the tree. They did what they weren't supposed to do. And then it says that they hear the presence of God. They hear God walking in the cool of the day. Let me stop and interject this here. Even when they sinned, even when their eyes were open, even when they did what God told them not to do, God still came to meet them. Listen. Just because you've made a mistake, just because you've done something wrong, God is not running away from you. God is running to you. He's ready to meet you so he can pull you out of that thing that caused you to be in captivity. But we see from this scripture that guilt and shame will do three things to you. Number one, it'll cause you to run. They heard God and they went and ran. 
And now here's the thing. Because of guilt and shame, many of us, we run away from our callings. We run away from our destiny. We run away from intimate, deep friendship. We run away from good opportunities. We run away from things that can work in our favor, but we feel like we're going to mess them up because so much guilt and shame is there. And here's the thing. The enemy doesn't mind you running with guilt and shame because, number one, he knows you can't run as fast, and number two, you can't run as far. That, that, that there is a purpose, there is a course for you to run, there is an expected end, there is a calling on your life, and as long as he can keep you weighted down with guilt and with shame, he knows you can't run as fast or as far. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, laying aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. But number one, we see this, it'll cause us to run. Number two, it will cause us to hide. Genesis chapter 3, verse 10, they said, we heard your voice, we're afraid, and we went and hid. Shame and guilt causing you to hide. You're hiding from the things that you're supposed to do. You're hiding from people being vulnerable and transparent so that they can support you. It causes us to hide. But often what happens is, this is too much to bear this is too much to carry. So instead of running, people are like, I'm tired of running. People are like, I'm tired of hiding. And so the third thing that shame causes us to do, it causes us to number three, to sit. Sometimes we just sit right there in the midst of the guilt, in the midst of the shame, in the midst of the brokenness. In the midst of, of the confusion and of the frustration, shame will just cause you to sit. Have you been sitting in the same place emotionally for the last two years? Are you sitting in the same place spiritually because you feel too guilty and you feel too shame to do anything and you're tired of running and you're tired of hiding? What are you sitting in? And so what he says here, like, even if you're, you're, you, you're tired of running and you're tired of hiding and you're tired of sitting, Paul tells us in chapter 1, verse 1, chapter 5, verse 1, he says, I have the anecdote for guilt and shame. I have the anecdote for all the accusations of the enemy trying to tell you that you are not acquitted. And he says this. We pick it back up in chapter 5, verse 1. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Everybody say peace with God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So essentially, this is it. God wants to trans, he wants to exchange your shame and your guilt, and he wants to give you peace with God. He's giving you peace. He doesn't want you wearing this heaviness. He doesn't want you to be burdened down with guilt and with shame. He wants to give you peace, and he is giving you peace. Now, here is the thing. Thank you, Jesus. When God... When, when, when you walk through this thing and this weight comes off of you, you realize you can actually run faster. You can realize you actually jump farther. So what the enemy meant for evil, God can turn around and use it for your good and propel you into a place that the enemy thought he was keeping you from. But the thing is, we've got to let go of the guilt and the shame. And God wants to exchange that guilt and the shame because he's giving you peace with him. Now watch this. God wants you to, to switch your focus and your perspective away from guilt and shame because as long as you're looking at that, you're looking at what you've done. 
but he wants to change your perspective to look at peace with him because now that's focused on what he has done. That God has given you peace. So number one, we find that there's freedom from our past. All right, number two. Pastor Shad, can you come help me? Isn't this just like guilt and shame? He sat there, but I actually can't get this thing off until I get some help. Oh, come on here, y'all. Part of you walking through the guilt and the shame is being vulnerable enough to ask for help. Oh, I can't ask for help. I'm the reverend on the stage. I can't ask for help because what I do, you better ask for some help. I ain't about to be walking around with all this extra weight on me when God, see, listen, I know you got the Holy Ghost. I know you got the Word. I know you got God. But guess what? God also calls people, physical people, to walk with you through your guilt, through your shame, and to help you out of that place. And sometimes you got to be vulnerable enough. Bro, will you pray for me? Bro, will you walk with me through this? got to ask. Now I'm asking. Can you help me? All right. (laughs) Thank you. All right. So freedom from our past. Everybody say freedom from our past. All right. Number two, freedom in our present. We pick it up in chapter five, verse number two. And Paul says this. He says, by Jesus, we also have Access by faith. Everybody say access by faith. Into this grace wherein we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now this word stand in the Greek is in the perfect tense. So the perfect tense shows that something has already done, but it has consequences for the present tense. So in other words, he's literally saying that you stand in grace. Like June 23rd, 2019, you stand in grace right now in the perfect tense. You stand in grace. But now he says something, you've gotten access by faith. Let me tell you a story I think will illuminate this. A few years ago, Brandon and I, we went to Hawaii. I had to go to Hawaii uh, for work. You know, poor me, I got to go to Hawaii. It was such a sad time. No. So we went to Honolulu, and we turned it into like a work thing, and then we took a little vacation. So we left the the hotel that the conference was in, and we went over to the Sheraton Hotel. When we went over there, I met one of my former mentors, um, uh, one of my former professors who was a mentor. And this was in December. So my mentor, he goes there every December and stays there through January. But throughout the course of the year, he will just, you know, one weekend, he'll travel somewhere, get on a plane and go stay at the Sheridan Hotel so he can rack up points. And sometimes he'll just pay additional money so that he can get points. And so by the time December comes, he has all of these points that give them this status, like this gold, platinum, A++, A1 rating status, right? And so because of the status that he has, he has access into the secret lounge that the hotel had. We saw him in the lobby. He said, well, y'all coming to the secret lounge? We said, we know of no such thing. <laughs> like, what you talking about, Willis? Is this a secret lounge up in this mug? <laughs> Lo and behold, there was a secret lounge up in that mug. There was, in that secret lounge, there was unlimited food. There were unlimited beverages. And there were two swimming pools that overlooked the island. I mean, that mug was nice. And so what happened was, he took Brandolin and I with him to the secret lounge. 
He went a step further. He gave us his extra key card and said that if y'all are not with me, just use this card, and this card will give you direct access into the secret lounge. He went a step further. He introduced us to the people who run the secret lounge, and he said, those my people. So if they don't have a key card or if they are not with me, let them in. So Brandilyn and I and my former professor and mentor, we've all found ourselves in this place of like abundance of food and abundance of beverages and all these secret swimming pools and everything that the heart could desire to have a luxurious stay. But now watch this. We're all in that same place, but we accessed it differently. He accessed it based on what he merited, earned, and paid for. We accessed it based on what he earned, merited, and paid for, but he extended it to us, and we received it. Woo! This is access by faith. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. You didn't pay for it, but Jesus did, and he's extended it to you. Will you receive it? Will you receive it? You can earn it. You can work for it. So he did it for you, and he's given it to you to receive. Now, I would love to tell you that when we walked, went in there the first time, that I just went up in there like I own the place. Like, yeah, what up? <laughs> T-Money up in here. I ain't do that. I was like, are they going to look at our room number? Are they going to know we in here? You're laughing, but that's how some of us are with the grace of God. You like, is God really here? Is he really going to show up? Does he really love me? Now, after a while, I was walking up in there like I owned it. And that is what God wants you to do. He wants you to, the Bible says, come boldly to the throne of grace. He wants you to come boldly. But what about yesterday? And what about my past mistakes? And what about my past failure? You have been acquitted, so come boldly to the throne of grace. Not by what you've done, by what I'm extending to you to give you access to stand in his grace. Now, this word grace comes from the Greek word. We pronounce it charis often. Actually, the C is silent in the, in the Greek. But it's simply God's unearned, his unmerited goodness and kindness. But in the Greek, it gives the picture that it is leaning towards you. That God's goodness and his unmerited kindness, it is always coming towards you. And so what he's saying is, I don't want you to run in guilt and shame. I don't want you to hide in guilt and shame. I don't want you to sit in guilt and shame. But I want you to stand in my grace. So wherever you are today, there's God's unmerited, unearned kindness and goodness. That's leaning towards you, looking for you. I remember when I was in high school and I used to take the bus home. When you're at the bus stop, you used to lean over. Is that bus coming? For some of y'all, God is like, where y'all at? I've got grace for you. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. But it's been provided for you. Freedom in our presence. Number three. Freedom... For our future. We pick it up in verses 3 through 5. Not only so, but we glory in tribulations. Everybody say tribulations. 
also knowing that tribulation works patience and patience experience and experience hope. And hope does not make us ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given to us. Now, this word um, tribulations is the Greek word telipsis. And telipsis differentiates between external pressure and internal pressure. But telipsis is the internal pressure. This is essentially that pressure that you feel when you feel constrained, you feel confined, and you feel like there are no options and there's no way out. Have you ever had the pressure where you feel like financially or based off a, a diagnosis that you've been given medically or, or this family situation or, 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 or your child or your, or your prophet, like whatever it is, you feel that internal pressure like there is no way out. I have no options. That is telepsis. That internal pressure that can cause us to be anxious. He says when you experience telepsis, he said you're supposed to glory in that. Now. I need you to break it down because what does that mean? Glory into lipses. That sounds good, but what does that mean? All right. The word glory in this verse comes from the Greek word kau hau mai. Actually, the pronunciation, kau hau mai. Kau hau mai comes from the root word that means neck. Now, follow me. It's the part of the body that holds the head up high. So, essentially, kau hau mai is, is the picture in the Greek of God hold, giving you the proper base to operate from to where God is holding your head up high so that you can deal successfully with the matter that's causing pressure. Let me give you an illustration. This year, um, this past NCAA men's basketball season, there was a game between the UCLA Bruins and the Oregon Ducks. And UCLA was down by two points in overtime, and their center, freshman center, Moses Brown is dribbling the ball down the court. He turns to throw it to his teammate, and he throws the ball out of bounds. Now, this is overtime. We're down by two points. You know, we're trying to keep mistakes at a minimum. And once Moses Brown threw that ball out of bounds, he walked back down the court with his head down in disappointment and in shame, feeling guilty. Man, I'm going to cost us the game. He's walking with his head down. So he's 7-1. His teammate, Jalen Hands, who is 6-3, comes beside him, and he does this. Jalen Hands sees him with his head down, and he lifts his head up, and he say, keep your head up, bro. This is a picture of glory in tribulation. When that internal pressure have you, has you feeling so disappointed, when that guilt and when that shame has you feeling so downrotten that the Spirit of God wants to come beside you as your helper and as your comforter and lift up your head to give you the proper vantage point that God is going to help you to successfully navigate this matter. Glory and tribulation that God is on your side, that you are not by yourself, that God has not forgotten about you, that he has sent a helper to lift your head up so that you can get the vantage point of heaven that I am with you. Even, goodness gracious, David said, for thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. You're my glory, and you lift up my head. He said this as he was running from Absalom. God lifts up your head. Somebody said, I thought you said this is what a future, this is what I'm experiencing right now. Well, this is the thing. God got you covered in whatever tent you in. 
God got your past covered. He got your present covered, and he's gone before you, and he's covered what's going to happen in the future. To glory in tribulation. Where are you today? Is your head hanging low? Are you in disappointment or frustration? Do you feel like God has forgotten about you? There's those times when you feel like God is a thousand miles away. But he said we access this by faith, not by how we feel all the time. And God wants you, you feel what you feel, but as you're feeling that, know that God wants to come right there in that feeling that you have, and he wants to meet you there. To glory in tribulation. So we see from this text that God has given us freedom from our past, freedom in our present, and he's also gone ahead of us to give us freedom for our future. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.